1: You are inside the QB factory where our magical development dust make dream come true. I am your host, Michael Kist, joined as always by QB1 in our hearts, in our minds, Mark Schofield. All of this brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. We are on episode eight. Mark,
0: brother, how you doing? I'm doing well, Michael. It's great to be back. Uh, we had a couple of weeks off. I spent some time on vacation on the Outer Banks, a socially distanced beach vacation, and I was loaded to go with a historical reference because i had a chance to actually catch up on some reading i read uh the devil's to pay the story of brigadier general john buford at gettysburg if people watch the gettysburg movie he was the character portrayed by sam Elliott. Mm. um calvary brigadier general set up the sort of the lay of the land for the first day of battle there i read um john Beecham's new book with tim mcgraw about the sons of america It's, it's it's first of all John Meacham cranks out, like, a book a week. The guy's yeah. crazy. Like, he already has a John Lewis book ready to drop. Like, I don't understand how he does it. But this is a really cool song about, like, protest songs and things like that.
1: Nice. really cool
0: book about protest songs. I, wrote a, I read a book about – well, I'm midway through a book about the French Revolution. So I was ready to go. But I understand, Michael, you have today's historical reference.
1: Yes, I do. So I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima, which oh, yes. takes us back to the days of the samurai. And it is a beautiful game. Highly recommend. I'm a big Assassin's Creed guy, as everyone knows, and this feels like AC, so I'm 100% on board. So there's your, your book recommendations from Mark. There's my gaming recommendation. And this takes us back to the 13th century invasion of Japan by the Mongols, who, in case you didn't know, I'm also absolutely fascinated by. In fact, another Richard. book recommendation coming your way. I'm, re- I've already read or just read Richard A. Gabriel's biography of Subutai the Valiant who was a brilliant general in Genghis Khan's army and might be one of the most underrated generals of all time. So in the 13th century, Kublai Khan, Genghis Khan's grandson, had conquered much of China. He sets his sights on Japan. So Kublai assembles this massive fleet, I mean, more than 140,000 soldiers, one of the largest armadas the world has ever seen. Yet the invasion is doomed from the jump in trying to attack Yushu twice, both in 1274 and 1281. Legend has it that the Japanese emperor summoned two massive storms or typhoons that hit the Mongol fleets as they worked from the Korean Strait past Tsushima and into the Tsushima Strait on their way to Kyushu. This devastated their forces. In 1274, they lost half their forces. And then when the big fleet came in 1281, they reportedly lost 100,000 of their 140,000 troops To casualties. Now, I'm going to be careful in making a comparison between a typhoon and a pandemic, but we're talking about an overwhelming force being stifled, not by their opponents, but by some unforeseen outside factor. With that in mind, the team that comes to mind, if I had to peg one of them as the Mongols, is of course the New England Patriots, who have seen eight opt outs due to concerns over COVID. The most of any team in the league, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Teams and quarterbacks impacted by these opt-outs, which, number one, 100% support when I get that out of the way up top. These players have every right to make that decision if they want. I'm not going to criticize any of them for it, but there are you know, on-field repercussions from that. Mark, seeing as you're a staple of the Pat's Pulpit podcast feed, I can only lean on your expertise to tell me if this ends their invasion of the NFL and being the Patriots, or if they can weather this storm?
0: It's hard to see how they can weather the storm here. And what's interesting in sort of tracking the AFC East through the offseason, I was on with our friends, the Rock Powell Report, earlier this week, uh, Mm. Chris and Drew. And they're super fun, and they just basically use me as a punching bag um, every time I come on to just get their, like, anti-Patriots venom out there. And I respect <laughs> it. I respect the I respect this, the format. Right after the draft, okay, when the Patriots passed on quarterbacks, when they didn't sign a free agent and they lost Tom Brady, the idea was, okay, they're going to roll with Jared Stidham. Uh, they're going to rely on this great defense to win some rock fights for them. And the defense is going to have to pitch some shutouts for them to be relevant, competitive. But the Buffalo Bills might be the better team right now. You know mm. they've got a great defense. They added Stephon Diggs. Yes, they have a huge question mark at quarterback, as we've talked about. But when you look at the two teams sort of stacked up, you'd probably give Buffalo the nod there.
1: Yeah, especially with Tre'Davious White, the cornerback who was right. mulling the decision. Who was to mulling opt the decision?
0: Out. He eventually yep. decided to to play. But then they signed Cam Newton, and now you're thinking, okay, the defense doesn't have to be perfect. They just need to be very good because Cam Newton's a better quarterback right now than Jared Stidham. You know, So the offense will be, won't be will be as bad as we're thinking because they're not going to be breaking in a, a first-time starting quarterback. But then you get these opt-outs. a defense that had already lost guys to the linebacker group, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Landon Roberts, now you lose Dante Hightower, like uh-huh. the heart and soul of your defense. And a guy that, let, let's be honest here, you can make a case that of their last three Super Bowl wins, he was either the MVP in that game or had the biggest play in that game. You go back to Super Bowl forty-nine against Seattle. Everybody remembers the Malcolm Butler pick. But people forget, right before that, he stopped Marshawn Lynch at the goal line, okay? Beast mode, stops him at the goal line with a torn labrum in his shoulder. Something that I have a torn labrum in both shoulders. It hurts me to write with a pencil. I don't understand how a human being could have done that, but he did it. And then, of course, against Atlanta, the strip sack of Matt Ryan, which was a huge play in that moment. And then finally, Super Bowl 53, yes, Edelman wins MVP, three tackles, two huge sacks, and he was the guy on the cover of Sports Illustrated after one of those sacks, which pushed them out of uh, field goal range at a a pivotal point in that game. So Dante Hightower is a massive loss. Patrick Chun is a massive loss. Uh. They ask so much of Patrick Chun in that defense. When they go 3-2-6, there are times when he's the middle linebacker. Uh They have him down in the box. They trust him to cover tight ends like Travis Kelsey. They'll let him play free safety, half-field safety at times. They put him all over the place. And yes, they just drafted Kyle Duggar, a Division II kid, athletic kid out of Lenoir Ryan. But the hope was he could be Chun's caddy for a year and sort of learn things before taking that job that's out the window. Marcus Cannon is their starting right tackle. And yes, he struggled at times last year. The offensive line wasn't great, but you're losing a starting right tackle in a year when you don't have Dante Uh Like That's a massive loss. And so these are some big losses for this team. Can they weather the storm? Perhaps. But I think what's fascinating to think about Anytime Belichick and or the New England Patriots by proxy do something, everybody's spidey senses start tingling. (laughs) And when, you know, we all saw the same tweets, everybody listened and saw the same tweets. You know, somebody texted Adam Schefter, either GM or some, you know, front office executive, Belichick's up to something. The thought process might have been, they're really going to tank here, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're kicking it to 2021. They're going to free up all this cap space. They're going to get a great draft pick. You know, next year they're going to have these guys coming back playing on their 2020 salary, so it's going to be a bit cheaper as well. Mm -hmm. The fact that that's even a possibility in people's minds, you know, tells you how Belichick is viewed around this league as somebody that would scheme that up. I think the easier answer here is that he told everybody, "Look, if you're going to opt out, do it sooner rather than later." Yeah, because if everybody waits till the deadline day at four o'clock and suddenly you know, 20 linebackers across the league opt out and we need to sign somebody off the street, we're going to be in a bidding war for like street free agents and I don't want to be there. So let me know sooner rather than later in case we have to go out and get some guys. I think that was probably what Belichick did. We'll recording this on Friday. He's given his press conference right now and he's kind of intimating that that was the thinking behind things. He wanted people to just let him know sooner rather than later. I think that's probably about right, but maybe he is. Sort of tanking. But to circle back to the question, I don't know how they weathered the storm. I honestly don't. Because the defense was going to be the strength of this team. Now that's a massive question mark. You look back at the offense now and you think, how improved is it? Well, you started a new right tackle. You know, there are ideas that they would kick Joe Tooney, their left guard, to right tackle. He's played a little bit there. I think that just makes you weak at two positions rather than one. I'd rather mm. see them give Yanni Kajustan the nod to Corey Cunningham right. um, who they traded for. So, I mean, it's going to be bad. And the other thing to keep in mind, and then I'll shut up for a minute, because this <laughs> is a legal show. It's not a Patriots <laughs> show. You're not on the Pat's pulpit feed, kids. You don't have to check your phones. They have such a bad schedule. Yeah. Like, they start their first five games, Miami, at Seattle, Raiders at home, at Kansas City, Denver. Then they get the bye, and then they get a brutal 11-game stretch. And Bill Belichick traditionally uses the first four games as an extended preseason. Right. If he does that, this team's 1-4 headed into a bye, coming out of the bye, they get... A really brutal stretch including a Sunday night Thursday night at the Chargers at the Rams late in the season before they come back to play at Miami and then close it out with Bill's Jets like it, it's a tough schedule
1: so a couple of things there I don't think if you're tanking you bring in Cam Newton no. I don't think that's the thought process at all number two Bill Belichick has possibly the longest leash in the league for a coach yes he can he can go to his players and say hey he doesn't have to worry about his job, and I think that's a big factor. A lot of these coaches do, so they may approach that situation a little bit differently. And Bill Belichick said, quote, well, I respect all of them. I respect all the players on our team. We all have to make decisions, and I talk to those guys, and they explain their situations. They had to make a decision that was best for them, and I totally respect and support it 100%, end quote. And Bill can do that because he's got that long leash, and he understands that you know people are really concerned about this, but it does hit – the Patriots hard. And 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 since we are a quarterback focus show, we're an Eagles focus show. I did want to get to some Eagles talk as we kind of move through these teams and talk about which teams were the most impacted. Obviously, the number one being the Patriots, but then look at some other teams, how they could be impacted, how those quarterback situations are, you know, the supporting cast could hurt these quarterbacks, you know, projections going into this year. So as we turn to this quarterback-centric focus here, you look at guys who had wide receiver opt-outs that could impact them. And the Eagles obviously took a hit to their depth with new arrival and trade acquisition Marquise Goodwin opting out. There's two ways of looking at this for me. The first being, yeah, it's not good losing players you thought you were going to have. And I really like Goodwin. And if he's healthy... He could have had a solid year, adding to the speed that the Eagles already have on the roster. So I don't want to be entirely dismissive of that. On the positive side, this is a guy who has missed 12 games in the last two years. And with NFL players, they're so often chasing the Dragon with their injury rehab, just trying to to get back to even before camps in the season start. For Goodwin, this is a chance for him to get... 100% which is something he has not been for a while and if you asked me would he have a better chance being healthy for 2020 or 2021 after taking a year off and pushing his contract forward I would obviously choose 2021 so perhaps this is a blessing in disguise that will also afford day three picks Quez Watkins and John Hightower another couple of burners more opportunities in the long run which they may not have had because of the weird camps and no preseason now You could say a similar thing about Miami Dolphins wide receiver Albert Wilson, who was another guy that I really, really like and I thought was on the verge of a breakout year before a hip injury ended his 2018 campaign. He is also, like Goodwin, missed 12 games in the last two years, and he's over a year younger than than Goodwin. So the problem for Miami is that they don't have the depth, and I, and I feel weird saying that the Eagles are better at, at depth at wide receiver than any other team, considering what we saw last year, but Miami really doesn't have the depth to absorb this along with the opt-out from Alan Hearns, because looking at their lineup, you have Devontae Parker, who just signed a new deal. Shout out to his co-agents, Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills, and after that, there is so much unknown. Second-year wideout, Preston Williams is the guy that they're hoping can complement Parker Uh, Williams had 32 catches, 428 yards, three touchdowns in eight games for them last year, which ain't bad, but he's still got plenty to prove. And then there's guys like Gary Jennings, Jakeem Grant, their seventh rounder, Malcolm Perry, the tiny Shrine game dude. I remember you asking me to keep an eye out on him during those practices for the Patriots.
0: Oh, because that guy screamed <laughs> yeah. Patriots seventh rounder conversion to slot receiver, which is right. what Brian Flores is doing. I mean – Yep. That's the Patriot I mean, that's way. Exactly, that's the <laughs> Patriot way right there. You draft a Navy flexbone QB, move him to slot wide out.
1: Pure Belichickian. Uh, and then there's Isaiah Ford on the Dolphins' depth chart, and how could we forget?
0: I was going to say, you can't forget this next name.
1: Mac Hollins. So, the rookie, Tua Tagovailoa, steps into a situation with a lot more unknown outside of wide receiver one. And even that, wide receiver one, I'm sure some people are skeptical with Parker, with the concern being that he might just be a one-year wonder that was on a contract year. So the Dolphins were the only team with two opt-outs at the receiver position, again, with Hearns and Wilson. Mark, how do you see that affecting Tua's rookie campaign?
0: I mean, first of all, I think there is an underlying question here that we might need to address, which is, if you're Brian Flores, is this Tua's year to start or not? Mm, Like, that's that's, probably a deeper question because – you know, in a usual regular off season, he'd have rookie minicamp, he'd have OTAs, you'd have the longer preseason, he'd get some preseason games, and you still have the hip injury. And mm. so when you've got this truncated, different preseason schedule, different training camp schedule, no minicamp, no OTAs, none of that stuff, and a hip injury, are you running them out there? Like, you drafted Tua to, to win... For the next ten years, not to win right. the next ten games, and Ryan and so Fitzpatrick at the second half of the season. you got Ryan Fitzpatrick. So That's good. I mean, I th- I think. You want to see him on the field, obviously, but I'm not sure I'd be comfortable making him your week one starter. I mean, okay. But that's a different question. I do think this wide receiver group, this wide receiver room, got diminished in a big way with those two opt-outs. And again, look, we fully respect and support players decided to right. do what's best for them and their family. Like That goes without saying. If you've got questions about this, you need to do some long and hard thinking in a <laughs> quiet room. The one that's... A, I think if people have questions about Parker, go back and watch week seventeen, okay? Mm. Because he went up against your defensive player of the year. Yep. The number nine player in the NFL is voted on by the players, Stephon mm. Gilmore, and had himself a day. Yep. And like he was doing some work against Gilmore. Um, getting a ton of cushion against French coverage. It finally seemed like the Devontae Parker we were all hoping to see when he came out of Louisville, at least those of us that had him as a top three wide receiver in that draft. (laughs) Anyway. Those takes out there, baby. Those takes out. Hey, look, I had Cooper one, so I I could at least survive that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, look, this wide receiver group got dinged. And what you're now looking at in a team that's going to run a ton of 11 personnel, And Mm -hmm. a team that's going to be running a spread offense where you're going to do a ton of quick glance RPO type stuff with that slot receiver, Isaiah Ford, Hakeem Grant, or Malcolm Perry, AKA the former quarterback. Like those are your options instead of Albert Wilson. So, yes, this is a group that got dinged. What might save them, they've got some intriguing tight end options. Mm -hmm. Mike Jasecki seems to be finally becoming the move type tight end. And Derb Smythe, not, you know, the world's best tight end option but serviceable, they could decide, look, we're going to do more 12 than we thought. We're going to use Giseki as like a big slot type guy. He'll be our quote unquote slot guy when we go 11. They could do some things, but yeah, this, if we're talking about wide receiver groups, that got hurt the most. I think Miami's that clear choice.
1: Yeah, just with the depth. There wasn't a lot of wide receivers that opted out. So it was right. slim pickings as far as teams that were affected by it. But I would say that Miami is definitely uh, struggling here with the depth of that position. When we come back here on the QB Factory, we're going to talk about another NFC East team. We're going to compare them to an AFC West team and see who has it worse. That's coming up next here on the QB Factory. And we are back here on the QB Factory, Episode 8, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with QB1 in our hearts, in our minds, Mark Schofield. Mark, you know, one one thing that I never really considered when this whole COVID thing got started and and the opt-outs and whatnot was how heavily the trenches around the league would be impacted by opt-outs. And it makes total sense. I mean, they're face-to-face with each other. Every single snap. It's different than wide receivers and DBs and safeties and and all that stuff. In total, 20 offensive linemen, 10 defensive linemen opted out. So nearly half of the 66 opt-outs come from the trenches. For instance, the Cleveland Browns had all five of their opt-outs come from the two sides of the line. They had four offensive, one defensive, which means they lost all three of their backup guards. And only the starters, Joe Batonio and Wyatt Teller, remain. That she's lost a good one in Dr. Laurent Duvarney tardif but I think the biggest question mark stemming from this comes from along the Giants' offensive line who saw their starting left tackle, Nate Solder, opt out. Now, despite the ridiculous contract that the Giants gave to an average starter, an average starter at left tackle, even if he's slightly below average, it still has value if you don't have if you if you have him there instead of as opposed to not having him. Without solder, the Giants are going to start their fourth overall selection, Andrew Thomas, out of Georgia, at one tackle spot, assumingly the left tackle spot, and at the right tackle spot, it's a battle between veteran Cameron Fleming, who is bad, former undrafted free agent, and 24-year-old Nick Gates. Know nothing about him and third round selection rookie Matt Pert, who I really liked, but I was more of a fan of his second and third year projection. So for a guy like Daniel Jones, who is so unbelievably blind to pressure, or at least was as a rookie, that drop off just might get him killed if the rookies don't step up, which is a big ass from two guys who are uh, talented, but probably need time to develop to be effective and trustworthy starters. So before we get into the next team, I wanted your thoughts On what the Giants situation, how you think that could impact them?
0: To jump off where you started, it kind of makes sense for offensive linemen, defensive linemen to opt out for a couple of reasons. I think, you know, recent studies have shown that if this virus can be, you know, put in an aerosol form, you're sitting there breathing on each other for (laughs) 40 minutes a game. Like, yeah, that's an issue. And we've seen that people that are overweight, bigger bodied, have more of a you know high risk factor associated right. with this, so it would kind of make sense. But look, bigger guys might want to opt out. So I under certainly understand it. With Nate Solder, you certainly understand it. He's a cancer survivor. His son is battling a rare form of cancer, which is why, you know, when he was tested the free agency waters, you know, a lot of teams that were making pitches to him, you know, were basically this is how close you will be to a world-class cancer facility. Hmm. Nora Princiotti from the Boston Globe did a fantastic piece when Solder was with the Patriots, highlighting how every Tuesday Solder would mispractice because he and his family would drive from the Foxborough area up to Boston so his son could get treatment. You know, it's just a fascinating story. We all wish Nate Solder and his family the best. But now you look at started two rookie tackles. For a quarterback who, let's not forget, led the league in both fumbles and fumbles lost. Last season. And also, of those 11 fumbles lost, 10 of them led directly to points from the opposition. This is a massive concern. For the New York Giants, especially when you remember they are, A, breaking in a new offensive system with a new offensive coordinator, so Jones is learning his third offense in three years, and B, that offense they're breaking in is a more vertical downfield system of Jason Garrett's Mm. rooted in sort of air choreo concepts. So you're going to need more time to throw in the pocket with a quarterback that blindingly feels pressure, as you so eloquently put, with two rookie left tackles, one of whom is a third-round pick that you're probably looking at. Unless they decide to flip these guys, he's going to be your left tackle. It's that's that's a good. good recipe for success, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not. Like oh. I, I have the image right now of Gordon Ramsay with his hands on the each side of that young <laughs> woman. Like what are you? What are you? Right? The, the breads are the tackle. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's what's in my mind right now. So not that, you know, we can reduce all of football to meme format, but we could reduce this to meme. Yeah. It's a bad situation. It's a bad situation. And I don't know, short of handed the ball to Saquon Barkley 50 times a game, how they avoid having right. some issues.
1: Now, let's compare it with another situation. Drew Locke is going to have some new problems in Denver with Juwan James opting out their tackle. And you look at their tackle situation right now as it is, You've had the recently struggling Garrett Bowles and Calvin Anderson slotted as your two starters from what I see, but Bowles was already supposed to be challenged by Elijah Wilkinson, who John Elway said would compete for that job, and Anderson is a developmental piece that they poached from the Jets practice squad, and let me tell you, if you're poaching Jets practice squad players, especially on the offensive line, you probably got a problem. With all the weapons that the Broncos added, and trust me, they, they are enticing. They look like they could be explosive. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. like these, these guys could have some serious juice, no question. It could all be undone by their tackle situation on both sides. And I just don't see Locke as that guy. That's I mean, Locke's going to be able to create a little bit on his own. But he's so inconsistent and scattershot with his decision-making, I think it could go go, like real south real fast. So with Locke, how bad is it? Does it compare to Jones at all?
0: I mean, it's bad, too. I mean, you're talking about, for some people, I know over at um, Football Guys, our offensive line expert over there ranked the Denver Broncos offensive line as the worst in the league. Brandon Thorne over at Establish the Run, he had them rated pretty poorly as well. And he's a Broncos guy. Garrett Bowles, his struggles have been well-renowned at this point. Um, You're looking at Lloyd Cushenberry, a third-round pick, maybe moving him to center, maybe having him at one of the guard spots. The problem is your best offensive lineman, Dalton Risner, he's a guard. Right. Like, you're, you're talking about... Teams are going to have their defensive ends, their edge players, pin their ears back, working against, like you said, a guy you signed from the practice squad from the Jets. And if you're poaching, like you said, Jets <laughs> offensive line talent, yeah. So this is a bad situation. the The, the difference between the two is lock, and it's a smaller sample size, as shown a bit more of an ability to handle pressure than Jones. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have the turnovers, doesn't have the fumbles in the pocket, doesn't have the strip sacks in the pocket that Jones has. So and the other thing is the skill players around the two, Mm. like they both have some potential. Yeah. But I think when you look at what the Broncos added, Jerry Judy in the first, KJ Hamler in the second, was a two really nice acquisitions, particularly in this situation with Hamler and his ability, the short area quickness, change of direction skills they could get the ball out quickly to him. Whereas yeah. yes, Shepard, Evan Ingram, you know, they've got some potential there. Darius Slayton with the Giants, they're gonna be if they're gonna really have this more downfield approach, that's gonna be an issue as well. So I think yeah. Locke's probably in a better situation.
1: And I and I think when you look at like the Giants playmakers, yeah, they're they're pretty good after the catch. Like Shepard's strong, Tate's always yeah. been like a yak guy and whatnot, yeah. but you look at what Denver can do and they may be forced to do this. To lower their air yards, their average yep. air yards, because Jerry Judy is excellent after the catch and can yep. get open from the slot in a variety of ways. KJ Hamler also just really explosive after the catch, and then you have the big full grown deer on the outside, Cortland Sutton, who you could feed target to. You know, he he could run after the catch as well. So they really do have three dynamic guys after the catch that they can utilize and mitigate those issues on the offensive line. If you had to call it, I'll just have, I'll make you have a take here. Who has it worse? Locker Jones because of these opt outs who has it worse overall really I
0: mean I think Jones I think Jones has it worse because his struggles the new offense yeah the lack of the two tackles like you put that together it's a bad recipe like I think Lock is certainly taking a ding here but I think there's cause for hope and you know the other thing sort of to keep in mind here you know Pat Shermer He's more of a West Coast play action type guy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, just was in New York, but you look back at his time in Minnesota. They did a lot of vertical stuff off of play, off of play action. But it wasn't like they were slinging it downfield. You look right. at Case Keenum at his year, his A dot was fairly low league wide. Mm-hmm. So I think there's already a schematic ability to sort of, like you said, decrease the air yards, get the ball out quickly. You know, miss, cut down on what the tackles and the offensive line are asked to do. Is Jason Garrett the kind of guy that's going to be able to shift his offensive philosophy? Has he shown over his time in the league a willingness to do that? <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say he has.
1: Not until he gave up the reins to Kellen Moore, which he right. had to do to try which to save his job. he had to do to
0: save his job. And yeah. about nine months ago, Kellen Moore was the hot name coaching Mm. circles remember those days Mm -hmm. those were good times
1: yeah definitely bad for for daniel jones that's going to be something interesting to track he's going to need those those rookies to really ball out to to save his hide
0: yeah or those new quads yeah (laughs) have you seen this no he added like eight to ten pounds of muscle and Mm. people are talking about his quads because there was that video posted um of him doing footwork drills Jim uh, Nagy was talking about how footwork is all that matters, and there were all these, like, zoom-in shots of, like, the muscles in his quads, and people were like, oh, between Saquon and Jones, they have the best one-two punch of quads in the league. <laughs> it's like, man, we are starved for football.
1: All right, we got to get a quads ranking, because Carson Wentz and Butsy McBeef
0: <laughs> man,
1: jack, dude. Woo.
0: <laughs> I got to say, when I saw the video of him walking into the facility <laughs> – I had a flashback to back when Bill Simmons was writing at ESPN, like when he first started. Some of his – you go back, you know, is Roger Clemens the Antichrist, the Nomar Redemption. Like some of Simmons' early pieces, like when you would like print an article off the internet to read it (laughs) because, you know, those were great. And the Nomar Redemption begins when they had the shirtless Nomar on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Wow. And Simmons was like, man, this dude is jacked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, this is bad, right? This is bad because he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The Sports Illustrated James. But that's where my mind flashed because Wetz comes walking in. It's like he's looking like Drago.
1: I was like, you can stop flexing, man. I know you're carrying. You know, I see your tries. Like right. it, it looked like you can see like the outline of his tries through like a sweater.
0: <laughs> like it's that old look. I can't fit through the doorway. I gotta turn to the side. Shimmy on through. Like that's what it looks like. It's like it's almost like you could see him in his house. The cottage, the the lodge in North Dakota, in between sitting in the duck blinds mm. with a picture of Jalen Hurts on the mirror, like Rocky and Rocky Four, <laughs> and he's like doing curls of like big boulders, and he's like got his wife and the baby in the little cart, and he's like doing the overhead shoulder presses like Rocky and Rocky Four, yeah, I that's mean, the vibe I got.
1: You you think about it he, when he when his lower body was messed up with the ACL and everything like that, his upper body became a little bit bigger, like he was working yeah. on it obviously, and then he had the back issue and, and that kind of and like off. and
0: and like he said, look, I wasn't rehabbing, right? So I could just work out, right? For the first time in a long time, yeah. And he worked out <laughs> a whole lot of it. So that yeah. all right,
1: that's gonna do it for the QB fact. I'm calling it episode eight in it. the books. Any last words for the gentlest, listeners, Mark? Last words for the
0: gentle listeners